you would in your Bibles, please, Hosea chapter 10. If you're, it, it's kind of in the middle of your Bible. Uh, it's right after the book of Daniel. Uh, so uh, it's, sometimes it's one of those. Just look for the part of the Bible where your pages are stuck together. <clears throat> That's probably where it's going to be. Uh, <clears throat> Hosea chapter 10. You know, when you, when you look through the Old Testament, Israel was on a constant roller coaster ride with God. Uh, as you, you know, you, you, you read through the Old Testament and you will see that there were periods of time where the children of Israel walked with God and then they would turn away from God. And then God would bring a prophet or a judge or somebody and they, they would get right with God or they would have, quote-unquote, revival, if you would. And then they would walk with God for a while and then they would turn away from God and then God would bring another prophet or a judge or whatever. And then they would walk with God. And this cycle is something that just kind of goes through the Old Testament. And as I have read the Old Testament many times, God has reminded me that my life is much like that of the Old Testament Jews. Uh, there are seasons in my life that I walk with God, and and uh, you know Rick Rick uh, I I must have Rick fooled or something I don't know, but uh, he said you know he he said Pastor and, and Mrs Lynn you know walk with God every day and. You know, I, I wish that were true. I try really hard, but you know, there are days that that I struggle, and that and and I, my only assumption that I can draw from that is, if if I struggle walking with God every day, then you do too. Uh, is that is that accurate? Okay, all right. So I, I'm not crazy. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I was just gonna say I don't know about that part, but. Um, but 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 I, I, as I have thought about it, and I, I've studied it extensively, and I've even examined my own life, and I think one of the causes, and, and there are many causes for it, but one of the causes that I think causes us to go through this cycle is what I would call indecision, where we get to a point where we just struggle with our decision-making, and and oftentimes, um, uh, we don't make decisions. Now, let, let me ask you a question. If we do not make a decision, <clears throat> um, is that a decision in itself? It is, actually. If you do not make a decision, then you cannot be blamed. Is that, is that how it works? No, <laughs> we're still going to be held liable for it. <clears throat> uh, my wife and I taught our children that um, uh, um, uh, silence is consent. And we tried to help them understand the fact that by, by trying to, quote unquote, stay neutral <clears throat> doesn't mean that you're guiltless. 
Wendell Myers said this, Indecision is a virus that can run through an army and destroy its will to win or even survive. The risk of a wrong decision is preferred to the terror of indecision. I read a story many years ago. I've shared it before, but I wanted to share it again that I, I thought is, is really appropriate to this idea of decisions. Ronald Reagan uh, once had an aunt who took him to the cobbler uh, for a, a pair of new shoes. The cobbler asked young Reagan, do you want square toes or round toes? Unable to decide, Reagan did not answer the cobbler. So the cobbler gave him a few days. No decision. Several days later, the cobbler saw Reagan on the street and asked him again, what kind of toes do you want on your shoes? And Reagan still could not decide. So the shoemaker replied, well, come by in a couple days and your shoes will be ready. When the future president did so, he found one square toe and one round toe shoe. <clears throat> this will teach you to never let people make decisions for you. The cobbler said that the cobbler said to uh, to his uh, indecisive customer, and then this is what Reagan said later. He said, "I learned right then and there. If you don't make your own decisions, someone else will." <clears throat> Hosea chapter 10 finds the nation of Israel in a, a bad part of the cycle, if you would. So let's look at Isaiah chapter Hosea, Hosea chapter 10, and let's start reading in verse 1. It says, Israel, an empty vine, he bringeth forth fruit unto himself, according to the multitude of his fruit he hath. Increase the altars according to the goodness of his land, have made goodly uh, images. Verse number two their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty. He shall break down their altars, he shall spoil their images. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again, for allowing us to be here this morning. Thank you for the Word of God that uh, changes hearts, changes lives. Lord, we are so thankful that you loved us enough to send your Son for us. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here we find the children of Israel have turned their backs on God uh, once again. And it's somewhat of a paradoxical thing going on here. If it, I, think that's the, I think that's the way I want to word this. On one hand, in verse 1, it talks about their prosperity and the fact that 
that they that they were prosperous and things were were good physically for them but in verse 2 it talks about their hearts and and their hearts were divided so you have this paradox going on and 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 it it, it seems it would seem that the more that they had the more grateful they would be to god and as i as i as I thought about this, you know, I, th- this is the thought that I have. You know, in my life, I try really, really hard that the more that God gives me, the more I want to serve Him. Does that sound good? But unfortunately, that's not always the way it is. Most people, the more they get, what? The more they want. And instead of it causing them to turn to God and worship God and thank God for their blessings and all of the things that they have, they end up turning their backs on God and worshiping things those things become their idols. And I I don't know about you, but I have to work really, really hard at keeping in perspective the the blessings of God in my life. Because I never want them to become my God. Generally speaking, the, the more we have the more we need God. But that's not always how it happens. And and the nation of Israel here in uh, Hosea chapter 10, they had had turned away from God because of the blessings that God had given them. Look at verse 3. It says, Now they say, We have no king because we feared not the Lord, what then should a king do to us? Now, there's an interesting phrase in verse 3. It says that we have no king. And today, because we are so far removed, we don't know exactly what that phrase means. We, we, can, we can take a guess. There's, there's, you know, the, the, through my studies, I came up with two very logical, probable causes for that statement. The first one being that Israel had gone through a, a, a series of king assassinations at this, at, at this time in history. Uh, you know, a king would come on and then he would be assassinated and kill all his family and another king would take over. And they were, it was just a period of time where there was just king after king after king. And, and the cause of this uh, basically meant that there was absolute chaos in the government. It, it, everything was just chaotic and, and in disarray. And, and so the people probably felt like they didn't have a king. The other probable thing is that uh, the Assyrians were um, 
what's the word? Uh, getting ready to take over the land of Israel. This is this is not the entire land of Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> this is not all twelve tribes. This is referring to the to, to the ten northern tribes, and the Assyrians were getting ready to to conquer the uh, ten northern tribes, and so it could be that this was taking place and that's why the 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 nation the people of israel at that time said we have no no king regardless of the situation the results are the same indecision and chaos were the way life was during this time As we continue reading through our through our uh, message this morning, we're going to see that God confronts the children of Israel. God God comes to the children of Israel and said, "Okay, it's time for you to make a decision." And there are times in our lives where God does that in our lives as well. I, I can look back in my life and and I can I can identify multiple times where God brought me to a point and said, "Okay, Rick, it's time for you to make a choice. You're either going to serve me or you're not." The confrontation, if you would, I don't know what else to call it, the confrontation that God is about to have with the children of Israel should help us to identify a question. And he, and he basically asked the children of Israel this, to make a decision. Are you going to please God with your life or are you going to please yourself? A quote that I have on my computer screen. Every computer I've had for for many years, I, I put this quote on my on my on the on the frame of my computer screen, because I always want it in front of me. And this is the quote: "It's from a guy named Ken Collier. Just two choices on the shelf: pleasing God or pleasing self. And if you boil down our lives to the most simple process." It really boils down to that. Every decision that you make every single day is based on those two, that, those two questions. Either you're going to please God or you're going to please yourself. The other day, I, I debated whether to tell, say this story because my wife always listens to the sermons. <clears throat> so I, I'm throwing myself under the bus. So don't tell her. Let her listen, okay? <clears throat> she'll hear it, and then she'll chew me out. The other day, my wife had a hair appointment, you know, uh, and it's in Reno. So typically what I do is I, I will drop her off, and then I'll run errands or whatever. Well, the, the other day when I dropped her off, <clears throat> I... I thought, what, what am I going to do? So I, you know, I, t I had already told her I was going to go over to Habitat for Humanity. Uh, it's near 
where she gets her hair cut. And I like walking through and just looking at stuff. And occasionally I find a little treasure or something, you know. But anyway, <clears throat> so I'm walking. So as I'm driving over to Habitat for Humanity, how many of you have you ever been there? Okay, a few of you? Okay. <clears throat> what is right across the street from the Habitat for Humanity? You're, lo- you're smiling. Oh, okay. Huh? A donut shop. Yes. The donut, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> there was a donut shop right across the street. So when I, the, I, I believe Satan reminded me of the donut shop because as soon as she got out of the car, I'm pulling out of the parking lot, and all the way there, I had this argument with myself. Y'all ever do that? Okay. The whole way there. Anyway, I felt I felt subject to pleasing myself. And I bought a donut. And I didn't tell my wife. <laughs> now she's gonna find out. But but I, I the whole time, the whole time after and then after and then and then after you eat the donut, what happens? Guilt. Yeah, it's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But it was so good, you know? But I shouldn't have done that. You know, you had that stupid conversation. The whole time I'm in Habitat for Humanity, I'm beating myself up over eating a stupid donut. And then I go to pick up my wife, and I feel guilty because I didn't get her one. But she wouldn't have ate it anyway. So, you know, anyway, <clears throat> my, my point is this. We face decisions all day long, every single day of our lives, where we're either going to please God or we're going to please ourselves. And had I had I looked at it at, at it in that realm, I probably wouldn't have bought the donut, unless you know God said get the donut. I don't know. I don't think He would do that. But but that you, you get my point. The title of my message is Living With Our Decisions. Living With Our Decisions. Look at verse 12. <clears throat> this is where God, for lack of better terms, confronts the children of Israel. He says, Sow to yourself in righteousness and reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He come." and rain righteousness upon you. My first point this morning, very simply, it's, it's time. It's time. Hosea was pleading with the children of Israel, it's time to seek the Lord. It's time. And we are living in a day where it's time. If you haven't figured it out, the end is near. It's time for us to serve the Lord. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. And that, know, uh, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us 
Therefore, cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. That was written a little over 2,000 years ago. Do you think we are closer than the author was when he wrote that? Absolutely. It's time. Paul was saying the same thing as Hosea. It is time to seek the Lord. Indecision cannot be a part of our lives. Joshua challenged the people of Israel in the book of Joshua basically with the same idea in Joshua 24.15. It says, uh, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served which Uh, that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And there's an important principle here in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. The decision is yours. Your parents can't make it for you, young people. Your spouse can't make it for you. You are the one that is going to have to decide what you're going to do. The choice is yours. And it's time to make the choice. We are either going to please God or we're going to please ourselves. Over and over and over in Scripture, you will see where God, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, God tells us to choose wisely. It's time to seek the Lord. The words of Eleanor Roosevelt are so true. This is what she said. She said, One, uh, One's philosophy is not best expressed in words. It is expressed in the choices one makes. In the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves. The process never ends until we die. And the choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. See, we can make, and God gives us the ability to make our own choices. And and God wants us to make choices. He He doesn't want us to be neutral because being neutral literally is making a choice. But we cannot... Our choices are the choices are ours, but the consequences of our choices are not ours. See, we have the choice to break the law. In fact, on the way to church, uh, my the, the, the highway patrol is out in force, by the way. On the way to church, we saw two people pulled over uh, getting tickets on the way to church. Now, they chose, I'm assuming, to speed. Okay? (laughs) 
Okay? Okay, their choice was to speed or whatever. I, I, I don't know why, I don't know what, what the, what the, the penalty, or but the what the cause of the pullover was, but they have no control over the consequences of their choice. So that's why I choose not to speak. Saves me a lot of money. So point number one, it's time. Point number two, it takes work. It takes work. Look at verse 12 again. Sow to yourself in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness unto you. Sowing and reaping is a spiritual law that God gives us multiple times through Scripture. The fact of uh, uh, reaping and sowing will affect us. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, it says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I want to look at three very simple principles very quickly. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I do want to, I did feel like it was necessary to mention. Uh, we've talked about it before, that's why I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But it's important to understand that uh, what we sow, we're going to reap. The first principle is we reap in kind to what we sow. In other words, if you reap a tomato plant or a tomato seed, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get tomatoes. You're, you're not going to get cantaloupe. You're going to get what you plant. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth of the Spirit shall <clears throat> of the Spirit reap, reap life everlasting. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 18. The wicked <clears throat> worketh uh, a deceitful work, but him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. Again, you get what you plant. The second principle, you reap proportionately to what you sow. If you plant a little, you get a little. You plant a lot, you get a lot. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Proverbs chapter 22 and verses 8 and 9. Uh, he that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and <clears throat> the rod of his anger shall fail. He that hath a uh, bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 8. But others, <clears throat> but other well, um, excuse me, but other uh, fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. And some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. So you get what you plant, 
and you get in proportion to what you plant. Our lives are no different. You get what you sow. And then the third principle is this. You reap in a different season than you sow. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. And let us uh, not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Time can be a difficult thing for us, can it not? Young people disobey parents and they think they get away with it. Let me tell you, it doesn't work. When I was in my 30s, my mom and dad found out something I did and I'm not going to tell the story because young people will get some ideas, but um, they, and my dad, it was until the, till the day he died was still mad at me about that. <clears throat> but the results often come later than when we sow. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is heaviness of, a, of, his, of his mother. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away with his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. The word finish, finished here means to be fully matured or fully grown. It takes time for things to grow. It takes time for them to mature. And there are times when we know people who do things and they quote-unquote think they get away with it. But God always reveals sin. Behold, your sins will find you out. The spiritual law of reaping and sowing is vital for us to understand because we get what we plant, we get in proportion to what we plant, and it will always catch up with us. We need to be really, really careful of our decisions. When I, most of you know that I go out to the prison uh, out at Lovelock once a month and <clears throat> the reason I go out there is because God, you know, God, God has his way of doing things. But anyway, God worked it out that I met the assistant warden of the prison one day and he invited me to come out and take a tour of the prison. And uh, so I, I thought, man, that, that's awesome. So I went out to, and I, I, you know, I called him and we set up a day, a time. So I went out and he gave me a personal tour of the prison. And by the way, anybody can do that. If you're ever interested, all you got to do is call him. Um, but uh, it, it was pretty interesting. Um, but as we were going through the prison, he was, you know, taking me through the different areas and, you know, explaining everything. And, and uh, he was telling me stories along the way. And one of the stories he told me was that <clears throat> he said, you know, what's, kind of ironic is we actually have an inmate here who was part of the original construction crew that built the prison. 
he said he said he had no idea that he would end up in the very prison that he was helping build. Behold your sins will find you out. Every time I think of that that passage, I I think of that poor guy. Can you imagine laying in, in one of those beds thinking, man, I built this place. That, that would be horrible. Insult to injury. Look at verse 12 again. Sow to yourself in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it's time to seek the Lord. The implication here is this. That we are supposed to sow righteousness abundantly. That is the implication here. And if we will sow righteousness abundantly, then God will bless us abundantly. That is the implication of this. But it starts off with a prerequisite. What is, look at this verse. What is the prerequisite to the blessings? Anybody? Okay, uh, you're close. Okay, it's break up your fallow ground. Now, I'm not a farmer. We do have a farmer here, (laughs) kind of. Uh, But I'm not a farmer, okay? I don't don't do that. My wife lets me cut the grass, and that's about it. But I I don't, you know, I'm just, that's not... But I, I, I do know a little bit. I have a friend who owns a big a big um, uh, corn farm. Is that is that what you call it? Corn farm? He grows corn, okay? Uh, and I asked him about this. <clears throat> and uh, he said he said what what happens is every seven years, according to scripture, and and not only is it scriptural, but the uh, in the agricultural uh, world, uh, it is a recommended practice that you leave a seventh of your field un- unplanted for a year. And it, what it does is it allows it to replenish. And he, he was explaining this to me. And he said, but the problem is when you let it sit for a year, then when you go back to to cultivate it, to grow corn, the, the then the ground is like really, really hard. It takes work. It takes work to live for God. Sow to yourself righteousness. It takes work. If we want to reap mercy, then we need to break up that fallow ground in our lives. The word word fallow means empty or unused. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 4. He says, The sluggard will not plow for reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. I asked him, I asked my, my corn farmer friend this in reference to this, and he said yes. He said what this, is, what this verse is literally uh, um, talking about is that... <clears throat> The best time to plow fields is when there's snow on the ground. Okay, the ground is hard, 
But the Bible says that the sluggard won't plow for reason of the cold. But he says that the best time to plow is when there's snow on the ground. And he explained it to me. I can't explain it to you, but the snow does something to the ground when you plow the snow into the ground. It brings extra special nutrients. I don't know what it does, but it is the best time for farmers to do it. But a sluggard won't do it because it's too cold. It takes work. If we are going to choose to serve the Lord, it is going to cause us to work. And as I thought about this, I thought about when, when fallow ground is plowed up and, and, and seeds are sown, what, does, what, what is the product of that? New life. Stuff grows. And it grows a lot. It's kind of like what revival is, is it not? Here we just finished a week revival. And as I was thinking about this, I thought about, you know, the fact is that what, what is the, one of the purposes of revival is to help break up the fallow ground in our hearts and lives. So that what? We can bring forth new life. That's what revival is about. But the, the whole point of revival is to cause us to make choices to, to allow God the opportunity to work in our lives, to make choices, hopefully life-changing choices in our lives. So number one, it takes time. Number two, it takes work. And number three, quickly, and I'll be done. <clears throat> the results are up to us. The results are up to us. Look at verse 13. God, through Hosea, says this, Ye have plowed wickedness and have reaped iniquity. Ye have eaten the fruit of lies because thou didst not trust in thy way, in the multitude of thy mighty men. What happened? The children of Israel did not listen to God. And they chose to please themselves. Instead of choosing God, they choose to please themselves. They chose convenience over principle. It takes work to live for God. Just two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. Again, the implication of breaking up the fallow ground is something that we choose to do. The easy way out is to wait till springtime. But the Bible says that a, that a sluggard doesn't plow for reason of the cold. We need to do the hard things. Let's choose. Let's choose to allow God 
to break up that fallow ground in our lives. Many of us made decisions at the revival this week. Let's choose to walk with God. Let's choose to live the things that he put in our hearts. Maybe you say, but I, w- I didn't come to revival. That's fine. But I can guarantee that if, if you are open to the will of God in your life, he is speaking to your heart about something this morning that he wants you to do or not to do. I don't know. I can't answer that. But God is a God who is going to constantly be working in the hearts of men. And it starts with us choosing and saying, it's time. It's time to walk with God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for your love. And Lord, I am, I, I am so grateful for all that you do in our lives. You are so good to us, so kind and gracious. Lord, as we bring our service to an end, I, I do ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us with this, this, this idea of choosing to serve you. Now is the time. With every head bowed and every